0: Your son is gone. He was weak and foolish like his father. So I destroyed him.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Weak and Foolish Movie Podcast. I am your host, Mike Tang, and with me are Joe Bang. Hello there. Albert Liu. Hey, everyone. And Paul Shu. Hey. Every year, <laughs> I look forward to this particular episode because every cinephile. Loves making lists. If you use Letterboxd, there's an entire section on the app that is dedicated to fan-created lists. If you use Letterboxd, you probably make, you probably have made a few lists yourself. And if you don't use Letterboxd, uh, why don't you use it? And just a side plug here, Letterboxd is a social media app for cinephiles where you can log, rate, and review movies, create lists, and most importantly, see what your friends are watching. It's a great community for people who love movies All of us here on the podcast are on Letterboxd, so please consider checking it out. Now, of all the lists out there, there really is no list that is more exciting to hear about than another Cinephiles Top 10 Films of the Year. I'm excited to talk to all of you guys about your favorite movies from 2022. And to those who are listening, we hope you will consider checking out the films we talk about today, especially the ones that you may not even heard about. The way we're going to structure this episode is each of us will take turns and start sharing our number 10 film of 2022. Then we will each share our number nine pick and then so forth. I'm going to be taking tallies of every film that shows up more than once on our list. So uh, at the end of the episode, I'm going to compile a weak and foolish recommendations list. So please stay tuned for that. Now let's start with Albert. Albert. Okay, let's start with you. What is your number 10 film of 2022?
0: Uh, I'm going to start with The Northman. Oh. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's the kind of a movie that sort of invokes the feeling I used to get as a kid from reading old tales and myths. And I don't know if it was because I was playing, you know, God of War Ragnarok around the same time that I was, <laughs> I was uh, watching it. <laughs> But uh, I I suddenly had like a deep connection to how they brought um, this idea of these Nordic gods playing around the lives of the main characters by by just enough, you know, and and, and sort of how just sort of how like the characters navigated. Uh, during this golden age of 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 the Vikings and and uh, I I just love that sort of remarkable raw imagery that it, it constantly had as well. So yeah, I mean, I, I I it's 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 really just one of those few movies I think captures the feeling of 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 like um God something like a Beowulf or something like that. You know, just. Just very medieval in a way, so I loved it for that.
2: Have you seen uh, Robert Eggers' uh, other movies?
0: I feel like I have, and I can't think of them right now. Did he the, uh, the
2: witch and uh, the lighthouse? The lighthouse. No, I, I
0: started watching the lighthouse, but I didn't. But I oh, understand yeah. that it kind of has a bit of mythology tied into this tale of insanity. If I, right, so yeah, yeah.
1: Nice. Yeah, I appreciated the Northman because uh, there was a really big subversion of like a common trope. I'm I'm not going to say what it is, but I thought it was a very it was a very nice surprise uh, when watching the movie. So yeah, yeah, great pick for number ten. Finally acted as well too. Yes, yeah. 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 absolutely. All right, uh, Job, you're number ten.
3: All right, I I'm excited because I didn't complete a full watch through of everything I intended to, to watch, but here are my picks anyways. So my number 10 pick uh, for 2022 is The Menu. Oh, um, I enjoyed nice. this <laughs> oh. I enjoyed this film way more than it deserved, I feel like. <laughs> um, I loved the pretentiousness of the, the food and how it was presented. I thought that intertwined with the suspense and humor dark dark humor and comedy was really fun um it was a standout for me most certainly and um yeah anya taylor joy was fantastic in this uh, and was a great foil for both her boyfriend slash client character nicholas holtz as well as the chef Rafe Fanes who presented a chilling all too calm antagonist um it was just a really great time. I watched it really late. I actually watched it earlier this year. Um so fortunately I never heard any spoilers and for that I was grateful.
2: Nice. Did you did you watch it at like a premiere cuz I know that you attend some of those sometimes?
3: Oh no, I watched it really late so I never I oh, watched oh. it on HBO Max. Yeah. Oh, so. okay, okay. Um watched it at home.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah. I wanted yeah. to. I got hungry, but then I wasn't. You know, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah. Uh, by the way, just a side note here: uh, Job actually has COVID, and so uh, you know. <laughs> <and> <laughs> so if he if he sounds a little off, or like he sounds if he sounds sick, uh, it's because yeah, he's he's sick with the with the Rona. But uh, this is his Rona. Michael he's the uh, Michael Jordan uh, fever game in this one. He's he's uh, coming right. in clutch, killer instinct here yeah we're happy to
0: have you yeah just to let our listeners know
3: uh no we are not sitting in the same room (laughs) (laughs) we're very we're socially
1: distanced it's
0: gonna be okay
2: (laughs) you know yeah
1: (laughs) all right paul your number 10 film of 2022.
2: oh right dude so i actually wrote up all my honorable mentions as well um and i I was actually going to ask you if we were going to do those but uh, i'm glad that we're not because i think uh, I mean, I have nine honorable mentions, <laughs> so it's oh, like, wow, yeah, yeah, uh, stark contrast to the previous years where like in 2020, I didn't even have a top 10. I had like a top eight. Uh, so I think, I mean, that just speaks to the overall quality of, of this year's films. I think everything that I saw was very varied and just there's just so much good stuff from all different genres. So but yeah, I mean, I'm not going to get into that. I'll just get into my number 10. Uh, so for me, my number ten is *Barbarian*.
1: Um, Ooh, nice.
2: Yeah, and I, I think you know, just watching this movie, like I think the the horror genre it's it's in a really good place right now uh, because you know contributors to to this genre are, have to be really creative and, and make the most of their budgets because horror movies just you know they just don't get as much of a budget to to make what they want to make. So that really causes directors and producers to really have to think of ways to, you know, have a captivating story and also, you know, scare your pants off. Um, And I think Barbarian, much like a lot of the greatest horror films, it's best when you go in not knowing anything. So for me, like the film is so intense, but it's also balanced out with like an equal measure of, of comedy and it's just a really good mix. And in my opinion, I think all of it works together really well. And I, I just really like Zach Kreger's style of filmography or um, cinematography, and just the way he constructed, just the pacing of like going through, you know, the house, and you know, I, I obviously I don't want to spoil too much about what happens, but there's just there's just so much interesting stuff that that happens in the film, and you literally have no idea what to expect. And I think, in in a world where we watch things and at least for me, like it's easy to be cynical. It's like, oh, this is uh, obviously this happens next or, or whatever. Like I I genuinely did not know what was going to happen. And I thought it was, it just worked really well. Um, And I'm just excited to see uh, Zach Greger's like, you know, new movies, like just being a humble YouTuber. And now he's a big, big shot horror director. I'm really excited to see what he does next.
1: Yeah, Barbarian was a film that you highly, highly recommended, and I saw it, and I was, like, blown away just uh, by how surprising and unexpected a lot of the turns in the movie were. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a a lot of fun, and actually, it was in my top ten at one point.
2: Oh, okay. Honorable mention, then.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and the reason, you know, I did think about, like, we should do an honorable mentions, but uh, there's four of us on this podcast, so just for the sake of time... And I'm sure we're going to have some picks that, you know, made it to our our list, but, you know, maybe not yours. For sure. All right. My number 10 pick for 2022 is Mama Boy. Uh, This is Uh... a coming of age drama from Taiwan. The four of us saw it together. We drove down to San Diego, went to the uh, San Diego Asian Film Festival. I'm a big fan of the writer director. Uh, His name is Arvin Chen. His films approach very heavy themes with Innocence and sweetness, which is, I feel like it's missing in Western cinema. I think Western cinema c- could easily be characterized as, you know, dark, uh, kind of, you know, in your face, uh, not safe for work, you know, type of especially if you're talking about like coming of age story. Uh, but this film is so far from that. And it could have been easily like a scandalous story, but it, it, it isn't. It's very lighthearted. It's extremely charming. And it doesn't shy away from things when when uh, the story escalates, and it does it doesn't shy away from getting serious. So uh, I highly recommend uh, checking it out. It's it's a lesser known film. It's kind of hard to find, but uh, if you can somehow see it, uh, one way is uh, you get VPN and you know get uh, watch uh, Disney Plus. Taiwan's Disney Plus. It's on Disney Plus in Taiwan. So yeah, that's my number ten.
2: Nice. Yeah, that was one of my honorable mentions. Yeah, yeah, that was close to making my ten too. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. That was yeah. close for me too. I think part of the reason I liked it so much was just because, I mean, of course it's a great movie, um, but I think it was also because the four of us got to hang out and see it together because as much as we do podcasts and stuff, we like ne- never actually like do stuff together in person. So so that, that was pretty awesome. It was very memorable.
1: Yeah, we got to do it again sometime. And then we got a podcast on the movie afterwards. Should oh, yeah, dude. A little bit more prepared. Yeah. All right. Uh, number nine. Let's uh, go with Albert. What is your number nine pick? It would be Prey.
2: Yes. Yes. Nice. nice. I,
0: I think uh, we've and we've talked about this in the previous uh, podcast, but how rare is it where you have a movie with solid Native American representation and have a good Predator sequel <laughs> at the same time? <laughs> I mean, we, we've had to endure a lot of terrible uh sequels from that franchise in recent years and it was just good to see a story go back to uh the basics in many ways and uh uh really sort of place it in an interesting time uh when um I guess for lack of a better term the west was about to be run and and one right and 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 Native Americans were at a point where things were going to change drastically for them but um it was um really great to see a sort of a predator design that we also haven't seen and you know the deaths are always gruesome but fun to to watch too so there's that
2: solid predator representation as well solid predator (laughs)
1: representation yeah yeah nice
2: that's a good choice
1: that, that also was on my list and then it got pushed down so it's uh it's a part of my honorable mentions nice
2: yeah. One of those movies that I wished was in theaters
1: for sure. Oh yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. All right. Job, your number nine pick.
3: Number nine for me will be Wakanda forever.
1: Oh, um, oh interesting.
3: In, in the hellscape that is MCU phase <laughs> Um Wakanda forever <laughs> was, was probably one of the best uh, alongside maybe Shang-Chi. Um, this movie was Spider- a warm embrace. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, nah, you guys. Right. I was setting you guys up. I was setting you guys up to reference the three and a half star review rating I gave Spider-Man. That still stands, by the way. It Okay, oh. I'll include Spider-Man into that as one of the better ones. Um, Eternals 2. I'm just kidding. Um, well, actually, I liked it a lot. Yeah. I digress. This movie was... Uh, just a warm embrace of love for all of us as we mourned the loss of Chadwick Boseman uh, and in the story T'Challa as well, the the original Black Panther. Uh, the way it embraces culture, honors the different uh, like people groups that it represented was just really intentional, really well thought out, well crafted. Ryan Coogler always really good and really understanding about that sort of thing and just so good at weaving heartfelt story into the spectacle that a Marvel film has to be these days. Um, While some of the action was just very MCU phase four, if you guys know what I mean, um, the story was just so satisfying to me. Um, It's as great a Black Panther movie as can be had without having the original Black Panther in it. So Wakanda forever number 9 Gosh. so i i want to
0: add at least a couple of my thoughts to what kind of forever that was definitely actually one of my favorite movies of the year because it stood out so much amongst the rest of the comic book movies we have but i almost feel like it could have been a greater movie had it not had to adhere by certain things an mcu movie has to do now to be exactly. an mcu movie but that's it yeah hmm.
3: I agree. We we actually didn't get to podcast on this. Um that would have been an interesting conversation. Uh but yeah, I agree with you Albert completely.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I I think I was not as high on this movie as as you guys. It would have been an interesting conversation. Uh we we're actually scheduled to talk about this, but my daughter uh had to come out, so we uh yeah, plans got scrapped for that one. <laughs> no, excuse Mike. Being is the <laughs> gift of life. <laughs> all right paul your number
2: nine all right uh my number nine is rrr um yeah so i haven't seen many indian films uh in my life and honestly they've always been kind of intimidating to me because i always see like clips of them on on youtube or something and it's just like a guy like you know like using a, a motorcycle as like a club or something, or, you know, some, something ridiculous, right? And it's just like, oh, like this is such like eye rolling, like completely out of my wheelhouse type of genre. So I initially was pretty like trepidatious watching going into RRR, but I think what, what hits the hardest uh, in this film is the, the core relationship between the two characters and that's where it starts like between the two characters and um just just seeing them grow closer together drift apart grow closer together like all of that enhances everything else about this film and the everything else about this film uh like the action set pieces the 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 musical pieces i mean for those of you who don't know what RRR is like it's it's almost every genre Put into one except maybe a horror or something it's like a musical historical drama romance action thriller in some ways science fiction and fantasy I mean it's just insane so uh I think everything about it works really well I think that it's probably like my favorite use of slow-mo in a long time and it uses a lot of slow-mo and it's it's weird because that's something where I feel like I would hate that but I don't know. It's just the way that it's used in this film. It's just, it's so effective and it, it serves to make things like really awesome, but also like really hilarious at the same time. And I feel like of all the movies that I've watched in the past year, it's the most like joyful that I felt watching a movie. Like it just takes you to a time where, you know, things don't always have to make a whole lot of sense. Uh Things don't always have to have like a, a, an airtight, plot or anything like like that It, it can just be a really good time and i think this film definitely proves that and i hope it's a gateway for more uh exposure to to films um from india and hopefully they can you know kind of break through to the western audience and um yeah i mean i just i really liked it it was super fun to watch
1: Yeah, this was a really good one. Uh I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned it. And uh, you know, you talk about excessive slow-mo. I've heard it said online that um <clears throat> this movie's as if Zack Snyder and John Woo co-directed this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's
2: that's See, so that's so true. interesting because Zack Snyder does so much slow-mo and it makes me want to like just vomit. But when when it's done in RR, it's just like so awesome. <laughs>
1: All right. Uh, My number nine is All Quiet on the Western Front. This is a war film from Germany, and I really enjoyed it because it presents a very unique perspective on war. Uh, It not only shows the young men in the trenches fighting the war, but it also shows the men in power who sit very comfortably in their offices and they argue and decide the fate of the war. And I think in most war movies, we pretty much focus on the soldiers in battle, but we rarely see the other side. And so this movie pre- presents both uh, points of view, which I, I really liked. I like the dichotomy and the contrast. Uh, it was very impactful. The score and the cinematography are just stunning. Um, it, I, I feel like this movie's cinematography gives 1917 a run for its money. Uh, it's just really, really well made and uh, really well done. So that's my number nine pick. It's not to see that, by the way. I feel ashamed to say that I
0: have it just because I, you know, the book is fantastic. And the very first cinematic adapt- adaptation of that book is considered one of the best war movies yeah. ever
1: made. So yeah, I, I definitely need to get on it. Yeah. Same. And, uh, Same. Make, sure, make sure you watch it before Netflix uh, ends the password sharing. All right.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, We're I not almost... incriminating
1: ourselves, right? <laughs> by saying that. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's not a crime out there. <laughs> yeah. I, right, uh,
1: yeah, sorry. Go oh, ahead. Sorry.
2: I was just going to say I I. this is one of my honorable mentions, too. I almost didn't watch it because I felt like I had to watch the first one first. Uh, but I, I'm glad that I just bit the bull and just ended up watching it because yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. It's really good
1: so i'm i'm surprised uh we are eight movies in we've all each shared two of our picks and we have zero overlap so far (laughs) and if we've all said like a a new movie or that's not mentioned yeah so i I, i'm i'm really enjoying this this is awesome
3: Uh,
1: all right albert your number eight
0: i'm gonna end the overlap my uh number eight was rr so um, (laughs) yeah pretty pretty much too soon you jinxed it (laughs) (laughs) for the same reasons why uh you know Paul had had already uh stated i mean it's it's three hours of insane action brotherhood you know extreme interpretation of historical facts it's got evil british people and it's got amazing dance sequences (laughs) i don't really uh don't really know what else you can ask of a movie to be very entertained. So, <laughs> I, I also feel like, you know, the great thing about a movie like RRR is I know we had some big movies last year as well, but I felt like this year was really returned back to this idea of going to the movie theater and getting, or watching a movie and getting something that's a true spectacle. And uh, it was definitely yeah. one of those movies that uh, defined that. So, yep. Man, oh, definitely. That I, I wish movie,
1: I saw yeah. this. Yeah, I, I wish I saw this in theaters. I, yep. I watched it on Netflix, uh, I think, probably like most people. And yeah. this would have been fun to watch with an Indian audience. Uh, <laughs> I've seen clips on YouTube of them reacting to things. And I thought Spider Man No Way Home being in the theater for that movie was insane. Uh, this takes it up even like oh, dang.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
1: All right, Job, you're number eight.
3: All right, number eight is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Oh, uh, interesting. wow. Interesting. I'm not the most well-versed uh, Nicolas Cageite uh, out there, but there's enough in the cultural zeitgeist around him for me to catch most of the jokes and to really appreciate just the comedy that comes with a, the self-referential nature of this movie about Nicolas Cage, starring Nicolas Cage... That features Nicolas Cage as part of a spy crime thriller situation. That's also a buddy cop dramedy featuring Pedro Pascal as the adoring fanboy. First, um, It's just thirst wonderful. Trap. Thirst <laughs> trap. Oh, it's so good. And I mean, he is daddy, right? Uh and then I I came away, <laughs> I came away really liking this film. It it had some heartfelt moments that were surprising to me. I thought it would just be all just jokes and Nicolas Cage comedy stuff. But it was good. I really enjoyed it. Um, even though I, you know, I didn't catch all the references. I got enough out of it to make it a top 10 film for me.
2: Nice. Did it make you want to watch Paddington?
3: Oh, yes. I mean, to rewatch Paddington. I mean, one of the great movies of our time. Right? <laughs> yeah. Paddington and Paddington
2: 2. For
1: sure. Both. Yeah. And uh, speaking of which, Paddington is on Netflix. So get that viewing in before the end of March.
2: <laughs> oh, it's going away at one. Oh,
1: no, just the password sharing. Ends, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> end of why
3: would they take it away?
1: <laughs> yeah, nice. I um, I, I really loved Nicolas Cage's early films, uh, specifically Face Off and The Rock and Con Air. And I thought there were going to be more references to his movies and more done with that, but uh, but you know, I I think I went in with unfair expectations for this film. So I know it got a lot of love. There was an it
3: it fell under the unbearable weight of your
1: expectations. That's right. Just kidding. It's unfair.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I just kidding. uh, I I I I really like that movie too, and it was interesting because. I I think I like Pedro Pascal the most in that movie over Nicolas Cage. He
1: oh, was yeah. just really fun. Oh, yeah. Well, he, he's a thirst trap for a reason, you know. He just he's, <laughs> he never phones it in. Um, he's in a movie like never. Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four. I knew you were gonna. <laughs> yeah, he's like I was so impressed by his acting at the end of the movie where he's under the beam of light. He's just giving it his all, and like. This guy knows he's got to know this movie sucks, but <laughs> but he is just acting his heart out. I'm like, hey, I have mad respect for this guy.
2: That's crazy. I don't, I don't remember anything about that movie other than uh, Kristen Wiig is a cheetah.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll look up the clip and I'll send it to you guys. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yes. All right. Uh, Paul, you're number eight. All right. Uh, my number eight is The Batman.
2: Um, I, I remember when this film was first announced, uh, that Robert Pattinson would star as Batman and Matt Reeves would direct. And I just, I just knew in my heart of hearts, it it was going to be good. Um, because at this point I was already on the Robert Pattinson hype train because of his work on good time and the lighthouse. And I was excited for him to provide a much needed reprieve from Ben Affleck's Batman. Um, I, I think this is easily like the most faithful looking Batman film to the comics. And like, when you talk about vibes, like the vibes of this film are just perfect. It's, it, it, it literally looks like the the comic book pages are, are you know, coming out of uh, springing to life. And it, it was just, it was just a really exciting watch. And I love that it was a slow burn and more of a, like a detective film as opposed to just him punching a lot of dudes. Um, and yeah, I think the overall, the DC Comics extended universe excels the most when it's not trying to play catch up to the MCU. And as a result, I think I enjoy, you know, the best that DC has to offer over Marvel movies, even though I think Marvel movies in general have a, have a much higher quality because DC is just, I mean, speaking of Wonder Woman, I mean, <laughs> it's just got the, the highs and the lows, you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the Batman is just it it was a lot of fun to watch and I'm excited to see you know first of all I'm I mean I'm just excited that it's they're not trying to loop it into their cinematic universe and just keeping it you know its own thing I think that's a really good decision by James Gunn Um, and yeah I'm really excited to see you know hopefully two more movies uh, out of these guys but uh, we'll see
1: yeah, speaking of looping in with uh, other DC properties, I, I legitimately thought that Joaquin Phoenix would show up at the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But that, that's just how uh, Marvel's kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of trained us to think that way.
2: Yeah, he like opens the door and then Joaquin Phoenix is in the, in, in the bathroom. He's swinging around. <laughs> By himself. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> All right, my number eight film is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Uh, this is maximalist filmmaking. I feel like the title could not be any more accurate. It's a genre mashup. I mean, you're, Paul, you mentioned uh, RR is like every genre. Everything, every all at once is pretty much the same. You know, it mashes in sci fi, action, family drama, romance, comedy, existentialism, philosophy. It's just got everything. And the sci-fi concept itself is so good, and they just have so much fun with it. It's very reminiscent, I feel like, of The Matrix. And I feel like everyone involved in this movie, from you know people behind the camera and in front of the camera, they all deserve the recognition and accolades they've been garnering. Like it's legitimately well earned. Uh, this is not some kind of uh, diversity or or like you know uh, affirmative action type award situation. Like this is yeah. like legitimately. Like hard earned, and uh, they, they deserve it. Yeah.
2: yeah, totally agree.
1: All right, let's go on to our number seven picks. Going back to you, Albert, what is your number seven? so my number seven is turning red i uh
0: you guys know i Whoa. have a huge bias for animated movies and i felt like uh between the two pixar movies that we got this year one pixar movie played it too safe and another pixar movie just decided just to be wild and and be uh literally the the sort of output of its creator, Domi Shi, who is sort of a rising star right now in the animation world. And I thought it was very, very nice to see an animated movie that was very colorful, sort of poked fun at the current boy band uh craze that's going on and was unashamedly uh referential towards, you know, the, its anime influences. Usually a lot of, I feel like, Western animated movies kind of try to hide the fact that you know, anime was an influence, but I kind of liked how it wasn't the case of, you know, of, you know, in, uh, it wasn't this movie's case. I really appreciated the mother daughter story, the sort of use of language. And, you know, when I was watching it with, with my wife, she said, wow, you know, I, I feel like I really, really get this movie. And, um, you know, sometimes that's why, uh, putting, uh, folks from different backgrounds and directors chairs or 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 uh or in charge of uh sort of you know storytelling uh groups you know the ones who tend to sort of say what goes and what doesn't you know uh, matters a lot you know you're going to get more stories that we, different people can relate to so yeah
2: nice i almost yeah. forgot that movie came out
1: it was, it was pretty
2: early time. yeah
1: yeah i call that it I goes- refer to that. I, I refer to that movie as a an, uh, bio, biographical story of my wife's life.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, Joe, what were you definitely
3: seeing? Need to, I was going to say it. I would love to check it out, but did it go straight to D- Disney Plus or did it have a theatrical release?
0: It went straight to remember. Disney Plus. It went straight to Disney Plus, Sally. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Oh,
3: yeah. that's too bad.
0: Yeah. What was even the other
2: Pixar movie that came out? Lightyear. year. Oh yeah. Which which
0: wasn't te- <laughs> okay. I'll say this about like I don't think it was terrible. I think the problem was it felt it had a good premise, but it felt very uninspired. And I think it is very difficult to pull off science fiction to a family friendly audience uh, mm. as an anime. Mm. I think only maybe the only movie I can think of that's even done that successfully. It's probably Wally,
2: I think, right? Like all the other mm. movies, like Treasure Planet or Titan A.E., kind of fell. So, oh, I yeah. guess it, it depends on what yeah. you, what your scope of sci-fi is. Because I was gonna say like Spider Verse, but I don't know. Right? That counts. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I think
0: think of Spider Verse. Yeah. I guess that can count too. But I think of that more as a comic book movie. So sure. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah. Star
3: Wars animation
1: oh yeah uh yeah about like I mean, fantasy that's fantasy i, I was right? thinking
0: more okay. like full-length feature movies
3: oh okay. oh gotcha gotcha okay okay fair 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 awesome.
2: all
1: right jobe your number seven
3: my number seven is um an overlap everything everywhere all at once um nice what can what can be said i mean michelle yo kei hui kwan amazing in this um love that it was probably the best piece of media about multiverses in a year full of multiversal stories. Um, We're in the multiversal era, my friends. And um, I thought this was the freshest and wildest and most inventive kind of movie about that concept. Um, I didn't agree with kind of the landing of part of the movie's thesis um, and what it was trying to say about like the human condition but i i do love the way it it presents it with a lot of heart and earnestness and emotion that felt real and it deserves all the accolades like we've said already in this podcast um even if it's not the highest for me it deserves all the love it's getting so mad props
2: nice
1: yeah, I remember when we recorded our episode about about this movie. Uh, I think that that was. I think we kind of had that shared issue with, I think mm-hmm. the philosophical uh, direction that it took, and maybe it just didn't jive with us. But you know, it resonated with a lot of people out there. So you know, and you know, Mad props yeah, in the film to for, for for touching such a huge audience. For
2: sure. All right,
1: Paul, uh, you're number seven.
2: All right, my number seven is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. nice. (laughs) Whoa! Yeah, Um, so I was so sure that I wouldn't like this film because of how weird the premise was and also because uh, I really did not like the Daniels' previous film, Swiss Army Man. I just thought it was way too weird for me and it just made me, like, uncomfortable seeing Paul Dano ride... Uh, Harry Potter's dead corpse across the ocean water uh, he's like farting and stuff I was like dude even for me this is too weird but uh, as as the self-proclaimed Skip Bayless of our podcast uh, I actually <laughs> I love it when I'm proven wrong like I I think it's it's just so fun for me to just completely 180 on something and just have uh, just my expectations shattered because yeah I, I think this film was really creative and i mean a- as flashy and as as cool and innovative as it looked i mean it's a pretty low budget film so um i think what like what mike said um they were able to just like maximus filmmaking like doing so much making the most of like every single dollar that went into this movie and i love seeing uh kiwi kwan return i mean just a resurgent performance and i think Uh, you know I just love that adorable high-pitched voice of his it it really just brought me back to my childhood you know Temple of Doom the Goonies and and, you know it it was just such a fun fun watch and yeah just like what Job said like I I don't completely agree with the film's thesis but I think it really captures the public thought of nihilism well and that's kind of like the current cultural zeitgeist Uh, and I think that's why so many people were captivated with the movie but um, I mean for me it just seeing the journey that the characters went on, the character development um, and just earning that through such ridiculous um, fight scenes and, and just the world building was, was really excellent. Um, and shout out to my cousin, Stephanie Shu, uh, who's making it big in Hollywood, even though our last names are written differently in Chinese. So she's not really my cousin, but.
1: Oh, she, what? It yeah, is? She, it... <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. man. I thought she was, dude, that sucks.
2: <laughs> I mean, it's fine. No one will know that. Uh, as long as uh, i don't bring it up again so people will just
1: they'll just remember that she's my cousin because i i brought it with you earlier this week and then you're like yeah that's right
2: (laughs) (laughs) you would even deny it (laughs) yeah i was like yeah dude we're related (laughs)
1: all right all right my number seven is the batman And like you said, Paul, stylistically, this is every Batman fan's dream. Uh, Gotham City's worn out streets and buildings look grimy and damp. Everything's covered in shadows. And just the brooding score from Michael Giacchino gives the entire film, oh my gosh, this just detective noir like texture. Uh, This is, I feel like, a comic book form of Batman, fully realized and it's brought to life magically by Matt Reeves. The director and Greg Frazier, the DP, and on the note of Greg Frazier, I think it is a crime that this guy was not uh, nominated for best cinematography at the Oscars. Um, I want to, you know, I want more from this new Batman world, and uh, I can't wait to see what they come up with next. Uh, just please, just give us Court of Owls. That's all I want.
2: Oh
0: yeah. Agreed. We need a Court of Owls for sure.
1: All right. Um next is our number six, number six uh film. Let's go to uh let's go with Albert. What is your number six pick? It, it
0: would be After Sun for me. I think uh oh uh, I, I think it's uh I think it's the directorial debut of Charlotte Wells. Am I correct? Yeah. It, it's ex- yeah, I found out I was like extremely impressed by how how first-time director can can craft such a sort of beautiful, tender, and also simultaneously sad uh, s- uh, story about a girl in the '90s, uh, and you know her father, who's clearly suffering from depression. And I think uh, I think one of its portrayals of sort of suffering from depression is by some of the most, you know, raw and real. You know portrayals of sort of exhibiting symptoms, uh, in that state that I've I've uh, that I feel like I've seen in the movies, sort of that sense of of self loathing and and shame, and how it becomes like a black hole that kind of affects people who love you, even after decades. Um, and I think there's also something about the movie taking place at the time it does that also sort of brought me back to a particular time of my life too, and how people were. but other than that, just brilliantly uh, directed and uh, I definitely kept thinking about it after I saw it and I'd probably like to see it again.
2: yeah, that's uh, I'm I'm glad uh, you brought that up because I don't think we got a chance to talk about it. I mean obviously without going to spoilers, did you kind of understand like the ending immediately? like did you know like what exactly was happening or did you have to like think about it, like, oh shoot, that's what happened? i
0: i have I have a I know when they don't explicitly say what happened you ha- you have a good guess as to what happened, yeah, right, but um i I think uh, just the uh, love uh I don't mean this part of spoiler that the that, that you know the daughter had for uh, uh, I forgot what her name was um it was Sophie had for mm-hmm. uh, her father. And how it it kind of exhibits itself differently, you know, with foresight and hindsight was uh, probably the one one thing that affected me the most.
2: Mm. Nice. Right on.
1: All right, Job, your number six film.
3: My number six was The Batman. Yes. Uh, Yeah. It's a movie that got all the hype this year. A little lower on the list, it seems like for a lot of us. I thought it'd be higher for some of you guys. Um, what what more can be said? It was great. Loved the atmosphere, the, the noir feeling of it all. Um, I, I did think Robert Pattinson did an amazing job. I thought I did get some Edward Cullen vibes from his version of Bruce Wayne, though. Um, but that's just kind of how it was written. Um, although three hours was a little much for me. Um, for this movie, but aside from that, really well done, really, really well done.
2: That's right. I forgot it was pretty much three hours.
3: Yeah, oh, it was yeah. two hours fifty-three officially. Uh, Dang! But it felt it felt like three and a half <laughs> at times. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> I, I think it's not higher on our list because it it doesn't, aside from the style of the film, it doesn't do enough. That's like new you know uh it kind of yeah, uh yeah yeah like it is a detective noir it is a crime you know mystery type film but i think the revelations in the film are not new and i think it, it kind of lacks that surprising punch uh, at the end if you've seen sure. any batman movie before this like you kind of like when the surprise comes you're kind of like oh well of course right <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like if you know anything yeah. about gotham city like of course yeah yeah so that's right. you know it, it doesn't it, i think that's kind of like even though there's so much working for the film i think it just kind of lacks that 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 one essential element that you know i think it would be a lot higher on our list if it had something yeah. more special yeah. to offer well said well said all right paul you're number six all right
2: uh my number six is the quiet girl um this is nice the uh the inter, uh, it's nominated for the, uh, the Oscar for best international film from Ireland, and directed by Colin Barade. Uh It's a really simple film about a quiet girl uh, who comes from an impoverished family, and she doesn't really fit in with anyone or her siblings. And her family decides it it would be best if she spent some extended time with her distant aunt and uncle, uh, who are at first you know a little anxious to have her at home, but. You soon begin to realize why they were anxious. And about halfway through the movie, you have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen at the end, but it still doesn't prepare you for how powerful the ending is. And that's because there's just really good character development throughout. And a lot of it is not through words, it's through just, you know, visual storytelling and and just really beautiful cinematography. Um, it's you know, one of the best looking films of the year. And it reminds me a lot of uh, Pavel Pavlikovsky's work, uh, who's a director that Mike and I both really like. You know, Cold War and and Ida, um, but yeah, I mean, I I think this is also Colin Barade's first film, and he wrote it as well. And I thought it was just yeah, a really fantastic and really good insight and and look into just Irish culture. Um, and Catherine Clinch, who plays the the girl, her performance is really wonderful. And I think this this past year had a lot of really good child performances. And you know, it's it's that's great because I, I think child performances can be a mixed bag because a lot of times it's really based on what the what the movie gives them like if they have to if they just like scream a lot or they act like adults. It, it's a very fine line to produce like a really good performance. and I think her, performance is really good and yeah the ending is just like i rewatched the ending on youtube earlier today and it was just, just like every time i see it i i almost tear up which is a lot for me because i'm a cynical heartless man um but yeah i i guarantee if you guys watch it it will produce some waterworks but yeah it's, it's highly recommend it's really good
1: yeah, this is a film that I did not get to see, but I was uh, it was on my watch list and Paul you had urged me to see it, but um yeah, I couldn't I couldn't make it in time and uh, I was so scared that I would love it so much that it would just blow up my list and <laughs> <laughs> so um I mean and this is not a movie like Elvis, right? Uh, Elvis was a movie that was on my watch list, but I was dreading it. I was like I don't you know. So I didn't get to Elvis either, but I don't at this point I don't think I'm going to I'm going to watch it. Maybe just for Austin Butler, but I just I have no interest in that in that film. Uh, but the Quiet Girl is something that I would love to get to, uh, you know, sometime after after this.
2: Yeah, you can watch it and then add an addendum to this podcast about how it's your number one film. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, my number six film is RRR. This movie from India, nice. and yeah, it's three hour. Epic, historical action, bromance, romance, political, nationalist propaganda thriller from India. And it's, yeah, it's just catcher, the global cinephile zeitgeist. And I've, uh, you know, in the West, we think Fast and the Furious is over the top. But, man, Indian films make Fast and Furious seem like prestige, as like a serious prestige drama. Uh, R is just, it's so much fun. I laughed, I cheered, I, I blasted Natu Natu. That song, Natu Natu, I've, I've listened to it at least five times a day for the past month and a half, two months. <laughs> my my two boys, wow. they request Natu Natu every time we're in the car together. Like they just want to listen to it. It brings them comfort. And I, I really wish this film was nominated for Best International Film and Best Picture because, because of its worldwide reach and because of what it accomplished. Like it was a huge monumental moments for Indian cinema and especially for Tollywood, uh, which hasn't had the respect that uh, Bollywood had. And if you don't know uh, in India, it's not just Bollywood. Bollywood is just the Hindu uh, cinema. Uh, there's Tollywood, which is Telugu cinema, uh, another, another language in India. So there's a, there's like a, about a dozen different, um, you know, di- different film industries in India. So this is really huge uh, because it's a non Hindi film. It's, it's in Telugu. Uh, so, highly recommend RRR. Uh, it was so much fun. Uh, and, you know, if the three hour time, uh, running time, you know, kind of turns you off, well, just break it up. There's a, actually a specific moment in the movie where I think it's, it's an okay time to stop and then resume uh, the following day. It's about the halfway point in the movie.
0: I, I agree with James Cameron, though. We've grown weak. We have to. <laughs> we should be able to to endure three hour movies, but that's just my opinion.
1: It, it's hard. It's hard because of uh, TikTok and social media is just shrinking our attention span. You know,
0: <laughs>
2: and our
1: bladders apparently.
2: Yep, definitely. I have a small bladder, but but this year had a lot of three hour movies. Now that I think about it, like more so than than usual. Yeah, no, that's yeah, a good I wonder,
3: point. I wonder yeah. if I wonder if there's a reason for that. Like, given how it maybe it was production time has been so precious with COVID and everything that they want to fit as much as what they shot into a film.
2: Yeah, it's possible. The editors are just like, I I don't know what to leave out. So we're just going to have to include all of it. (laughs) Like,
3: this isn't
0: editing. It's actually a montage. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it's like they nice. saw the Snyder cut. What happened with the Snyder cut? They're like, oh my gosh, how do we avoid that ever happening again? <laughs> yeah. All right, let's just put everything in the movie. Yeah.
2: I, I think right. most of us are really excited to see not to not to performed at the Oscars. Uh,
1: yes, Yeah. That's, that's yes. going to be one of the main highlights for sure. Like my yeah. only
2: reason
0: for
1: watching it. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Cause I really don't care about everything else. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's, it's going to be insane.
1: I, I mean, they said that there's these famous dancers who are, who are gonna be dancing in it, but uh, like dude, the the actress from the movie need to show up like they if they show up, I'm gonna Uh-oh. lose my mind,
2: <laughs> yeah. and they rip uh, their shirts off,
1: yes, yeah. yeah exactly oh, they better
2: oh <laughs> <gosh>. <laughs> reveal those yeah bodies. I, I, think,
1: I that that was one of the disappointing things about the movie is that uh they were only shirtless once and so. <laughs> Each of them. And I'm like, come on. You you worked out that hard. You could, you could, you could, you could bear it a That's little true. more. Yeah. That's true. All right, here we go, boys. It's our top five films of 2022. Ooh! Let's start with Albert. What is your number five film? It would be The Outfit, which I, I feel like not enough people watch. It's a,
0: it's a movie with Mark Rylance. He plays the, uh, a uh an English tailor, and I forgot what city was it, Chicago or something like that, where he he, he makes suits for, you know, uh, for everybody, including mobsters. And one time and one day that all comes comes back at him in some way. And I think why i most enjoyed about the movie is it was just, you know, it had sort of a, I don't want to say it was like 12 Angry Men, but I kind of missed the kind of filmmaking where everything takes place on one set and all you have is the dialogue and the acting to carry it. And uh, I felt like this the, you know, Mark Rylance and the rest of the cast carried it very well through the movie's twists and turns. But I, I do kind of encourage more people to watch it because I don't think it hit me until I saw it, that it wasn't, it hadn't really been seen that much. But I, I, I thought it was a terrific movie, a very rare kind of movie nowadays.
2: Nice yeah you you got my attention by saying 12 angry men dude it's like one of my favorite films of all times so, oh yeah yeah, yeah for i'm sure. excited actually I, I need to check this one out
1: yeah i'll admit this was not on my radar so yeah thank you all for, for bringing it up all right job your number
3: five number five was avatar the way of water oh.
1: whoa oh,
3: let's go Wow, 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 wow. Uh, never ever underestimate Jim Cameron. Um <laughs> I I did not anticipate enjoying this movie. I did not anticipate it, being excited about it in any way, but um after seeing it, just really enjoyed it. We we talked about this in our reviews. Um just the empathy infused inherently into cameron's movies into the avatar pathos especially um and also all of it wrapped in just a pleasing blockbuster uh and this is one of those movies where you can just tell even though it's bathed in cgi that it's still a technical achievement and um not to like you know talk down on other visual effects artists but you could tell this was done with like some special intentionality um and the realism of the world um they used a lot more practical effects than we might realize um so just on a technical level was so good story was pretty good too um it is what it is um and i do want to see more uh and i think it just deserves a spot up here it it was an achievement that so few films are these days you know
2: you, yeah. will, you will see more, for sure. You will see, like, I four think, more. I think we will.
3: <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, like, it's competing with Titanic right now in, like, the box office all-time list. Yeah. And you're just like, James Cameron, man. Like, that's insane. And, I mean, Titanic kind of took back its spot because of the re-release of the 25th yep. anniversary one. Also... An incredible movie. One of my favorite movies of all time is Titanic. But I digress. Oh, really? We should have a James Cameron
0: podcast. It's interesting.
3: Maybe we
1: should.
2: Yeah, Yeah. I'd be down. I I think Uh, when it's all said and done with all, like, what, five or six Avatar movies, he's going to have the top five highest grossing films all to himself, dude.
0: yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. He knows how to, he knows what people want. He doesn't yeah. i don't think he you know he, he kind of knows how to tailor a, a complicated science fiction epic to the point where everybody can kind of enjoy it so
3: yeah
1: yeah uh, i'll be honest i i doubted this film could reach two billion and it just well surpassed that and it's oh, just yeah. shocking it's shocking to me yeah because i i had like you know you keep hearing don't bet on against James Cameron. And in my mind, I was doubting him, even though I say it out loud. Yeah, you know, don't bet against him. But I'm like, no, it's not going to go over two billion. It'll be like a one billion movie. Like, you know, (laughs) that's enough. That's enough money. But yeah, Yeah. it's just uh, one billion million
3: enough.
2: Yeah. I'm completely with you. Like when it came out, I was like, there's no way like when Avatar one came out, the, the the world of film was just a completely different place in a completely different place. And there was yeah. no mcu so i that's why i was so confident it wouldn't be that high grossing but then yeah it just freaking destroyed box office records and i was like oh, all right now i really cannot ever doubt him and his his blue people yeah, I,
0: I feel like i feel like i i feel like i really need to add though this was probably the only movie well I, there's another one but this is it's a good case for why good visual effects mean can mean a lot. It, it, it's it, there's visual effects from Marvel, which we're all sort of at this point, you know, not being surprised by, but uh, I don't want to like take Marvel as the example. What I mean by that is every big movie now has V of X done so quickly that um, we can feel it. Right. And that's not on the artist. That's more on, you know, the studios who forced yep. him into these tight deadlines, but you know, here Cameron yeah. took his turn, t- time, sort of making sure you know the movie looked right, and we we were, you know, even if you think the movie the story is all right, you can't help. I mean, it's like looking at a nature documentary. The animal, I mean, the sea life looks like super real. It's mm-hmm. it's really insane. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to
2: Viacom, dude. <laughs> Big can <Yes. Nathan> whale. <laughs>
1: Uh, i mentioned this in our avatar episode but uh yeah the the lady sitting next to me was taking pictures of certain <laughs> scenes because it was just so beautiful but the thing is it was in 3d so she's taking a picture of like a, a blurry image <laughs> wow yeah but i mean that just speaks to the just the beauty and the artistry behind this film like like you, and i think albert you said it so well like i don't mean to bash on marvel yeah but yeah, the CGI in that is, it just feels a little uninspired, but it's just because, like, they're on such tight deadlines and they're, you know, there's too yeah. many of them too. There's such a high volume of projects to get through.
2: Yeah. I, yeah. I wonder if the delaying of what is it called, the Marvels or whatever, the, yeah. Yeah. that movie, I wonder if yeah. uh, Avatar played a part in their decision to delay it because, and also because of Quantumania's uh, middling reception, I guess. Like, all right, we need to give our VFX artists some more time.
3: Yeah, they're they're pushing back a bunch of its upcoming slate because of quality control, probably.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 notable that when you read articles about this, the VFX uh, animators and they actually want to do a good job, and you can feel their frustration that they're not being able to.
3: Yeah. Right. Totally.
1: All right, Paul, you're number five.
2: My number five is The Northman. Um, nice. So for me, I mean, I, I love it when a director makes a huge effort to keep things as authentic as possible. And Robert Eggers' The Northman is supposedly the most accurate portrayal of Viking culture and Viking history that we've ever seen in a movie. Um, it probably helps that Alexander Skarsgård, Skarsgård comes from a lineage of Vikings. I'm assuming just based on his body and how he's very muscular. Uh, But uh, I just love I mean, this is my favorite performance by him. And I think this movie just as a whole works so well. And it wasn't until I was kind of putting my list together that I realized I watched this film three times in the past year, uh, which is something that I definitely did not expect. Um, but it's just one of those films that transports you into its world and it makes you want to stay there and, and see more of it, even though what happens in the movie is like a lot of horrific and like brutal murders. And it just doesn't seem like a pleasant place to live, but it's just you're so you're so entranced by what's happening on the screen. and I just felt like it it opened my eyes to a culture that of course you know I'm not very familiar with. Uh, but I feel like Egger's his style of mixing, the mythical, the mysterious, the fantastical with reality and, and grounding it in its historical accuracy. It just works really well. And there's some just really beautiful sequences. And, you know, just, again, just to bring up the word, you know, vibes, like I feel like this, this, this film has really good vibes. It's very atmospheric. And it's just, it was really entertaining even, but I, I think that um, a lot of people were, maybe put off by it because of uh they were it was marketed kind of weird like they thought it was like a like an action revenge story but there honestly isn't that much action in it but I think it's paced really well for me where I didn't really care. Um I just wanted to see you know what happens to the characters and and when the action does come it's I mean it's awesome. So
1: nice. Nice man. I definitely I'd...
3: need to check this out.
1: This is an overlap that I wasn't expecting. So yeah, awesome. Nice. All right. My number five is the Banshees of Inish And this is a, a charming dramedy about a tiny village in a fictional Irish Island called Inish There's so many acting highlights in this movie. Uh, Barry Kagan, Brendan Gleeson, Carrie Condon. To me, my favorite was Colin Farrell, uh, who is so hilarious as the village idiot. He plays uh, this character with such sincerity and innocence, and it's definitely one of my favorite performances of the year. I laughed all throughout this movie. Uh, Yeah, it was just such a great delight. Highly recommended.
3: Another one I need to check out that evaded me this year.
2: Is it still on HBO Max? I think it should be. Yeah, it is. It's it's on my
3: list. So nice, thanks, Mike.
1: All right, let's uh head on to our number four, Albert. What is your number four film? It was the menu. So, oh, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> whoa. my wife whoa. and our, <laughs> uh, my wife
0: and I are. This could be a biased uh opinion on the. I mean, there, well, they're all, we all have our you know subjective opinions, obviously, but like, you know, my wife and I are food foodies, and I think when we travel, we always like to see. You know, we, we check, we like to check out, you know, different food spots, but we're we're not like high-end foodies, but once in a while we we we've done places that are kind of like, oh, this is not really about the food. This is sort of about the experience. And and we there was a time, especially during the beginning of lockdown with COVID, where all we watched were like chefs table, uh uh, you know, shows and and that sort of stuff, and to sort of see that. Co- so and and plus, I think sort of knowing other foodies, you've you've seen every kind of foodie out there. You've seen the snob. You've seen the person who doesn't care. They just want want to be there for the exclusivity, and to see this movie sort of take all those like tropes and. And I, I haven't seen another movie do it, but sort of like throwing them in there and have it be so wonderfully tense, funny, and well acted at the same time, and also be like this great two hour commercial for a cheeseburger is, is, uh, is, uh, <laughs> yes. I, we really, really enjoyed it. And, and I have been to one of those places where, you know, I, I forgot, there's this one place we went to in Barcelona, like, Fancy food there is a lot cheaper than it is here in the United States, but it was also one of those what you call like molecular dining places where they had like and candy like on a tree or something like that and like and like your your egg or something like that like came out of like a laboratory test tube (laughs) or or it's served like that so seeing all that food kind of presented the way it was in a very chef's table manner kind of made me laugh it gave me actually some of the loudest i mean it gave me the biggest laughs i've had in the theater this entire year actually probably (laughs) so yeah there's that
2: wow what a surprise love
3: that I love that perspective, too, that you bring to it, Albert. It really just kind of adds to it.
1: Yeah, Thanks. maybe, Albert, I needed to see this movie with you because uh, I I, cause I, I really like the first half. I like all the pretentiousness, and I feel like there's <laughs> definitely parallels to movie snobs, you know, and people who take in... Oh, other 100%, dude. Yeah, other, other people's work. That's a very it.
0: good analogy. I mean, there should be a movie just like it for movie yeah. snobs, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, oh,
1: man, like... I, I was feeling like attacked by the movie's portrayal of Nicholas' Spence character. Yeah. I was like, I'm like, I think this guy is me.
2: <laughs> yeah. When haven't seen the
1: movie, it's just uh, like this I'd guy be lying
3: just... if I said I wasn't in the same boat, Mike. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dude, if, if you I, had yeah. a chance to like attend a Christopher Nolan masterclass or something,
1: oh yeah, oh. it just <laughs> berates you. Uh, it, oh sorry. It, it, anyways, um. I, I kind of wish the the commentary in the film or the message was a little bit more focused and pointed at the end because I felt like it was about a, a, a several different things or maybe maybe I'm yeah. not reading it correctly but uh, I think that maybe for me that's where the movie kind of faltered for me but I did enjoy it though I did have a good time yeah
2: yeah yeah um, I, I enjoyed it too it, it wasn't on my honorable mentions but I there were parts of it where. I felt like it was very cathartic because as someone whose first job ever in high school was uh, in retail, I felt like it was so, it was such a cathartic experience to see these chefs like destroy these pretentious and rich people with like their stupid requests and stuff. And I was like, oh, this feels so good. And yeah, definitely one of the best looking cheeseburgers in a movie. I went to <laughs> it now afterwards. No joke. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Yeah,
3: yeah.
1: All right, Jobe, you're number four.
3: Number four is uh, RRR. And oh I feel like we shoot! Yeah. Talked a lot about it already. Wow. Um, I thought this would be so higher, weird.
2: actually, for you.
3: It almost was. It was. It was creeping up there, but um, you know, it's this is pretty high for me. So yeah. Really, really good stuff. You guys have covered it. Um, I remember actually literally cheering you know like sometimes when you're watching at home I, I watch this at home for context sometimes when you're watching at home you go like oh cool like when something really great happens and in the theater you'd probably be like convulsing like in Spider-Man No Way Home um like how we were um but in this one i literally like jumped out of my seat like in at home just watching with my wife and um, it was just so good. So cathartic. So, oh, anyway, we've, we've talked a lot about it.
1: <laughs> good choice, man. Good choice. Mm-hmm. All right, Paul, you're number four. Uh, my number four is
2: the Banshees of um, yes. I Yeah. I, I really enjoyed Martin McDonough's most recent work. I mean, three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri, I thought was great. And I, I I liked In Bruges as well, so I was excited to see Gleason, Farrell, and McDonough reunite for In Bruges too, basically. Um, but to me, I mean, I think this film has the best ensemble performance out of every anything I've seen in the past year. I think this is Colin Farrell's best performance ever, um, and I don't I don't think I've ever seen a bad Barry Keoghan performance. So I mean, he was really funny. He was really a really good supporting actor and Carrie Condon as Irish Rebecca Ferguson was also amazing. I mean, she was really funny and her character fit really well uh, playing the sibling of Colin Farrell. Uh, It's just, it's just so well-written. I just remember watching it and I was like, man, this is, I haven't felt this way about a script and like dialogue in like recent movies since like Tarantino's films. I, I just think that it's just both, very pointed very thought-provoking but also very funny and it's just brilliant how it kind of tackles the the juxtaposition of contentment versus finding success and how it weaves like the male ego as like a kind of like a point of contention between you know the two the two main guys and yeah it was it made me want to apply for Irish citizenship i want to freaking visit that place it looks (laughs) beautiful uh every time they walk to the pub it seems like they walk like five miles <laughs> so it was just a it's really beautiful scenery i was like man I, I gotta come here someday so that's my number oh, well
0: well pa you know in the dublin airport like there's like a bar at every other
1: store so let <laughs> <laughs> me get some guinness dude yeah all right my number four is tar And this is a film that starts off extremely slow, and this could really test someone's patience. Mm -hmm. If you're watching it at home, it might be the kind of film you just turn off because of how little happens in the beginning. Um, I think this is why it's a good idea to watch films like Tar in the theater. Uh, You stay with it. You can't pause or stop because it's boring. You just got to invest in it. And I'll be honest, the uh, beginning of the movie was a little hard to get through. But I just, you know, obviously I I drove all the way out there to the theater, so I'm staying with it. And I think the benefit of seeing Tarr in one sitting is that you really start seeing the progression of this character, Lydia Tarr, and her downfall and how things slowly begin to come together and and you kind of see what's happening to her life. Uh, It's a great character study that requires patience, but it's extremely rewarding. Kate Blanchett, she carries the movie with one of... The best performances of her career nice
2: yeah this was on my this was just outside of my top 10 um and i totally agree with you it's first half is kind of hard to get through but it's very rewarding once you figure out what the movie's like trying to tell you it's like oh okay that makes everything make sense
1: and and best ending of the year. And I was right? gonna say best Dude, ending of the year. If, if, yeah. yeah. If
2: you are a fan of a certain franchise, like I out of everything I watched, that was the most shocking ending I've I've seen all year. Like yeah. I literally my jaw dropped.
3: <laughs>
2: Alice and I laughed our asses off. We were, like, this is awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah. we were like the only two people in the theater, so it's okay. So.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, freaking insane.
1: Yeah. If you do check it out, please make sure you stay with it. It, uh, you know, it does require patience, but very rewarding. All right. Oh, man. Here we go, guys. Top three. Top three of the let's year. Let's go. All right. Let's yes. go, Albert. Number three. Guillermo Del Toro's Pinocchio. Oh, Whoa.
2: oh, boy. oh boy. I, I'm a
1: sucker
0: for uh, stop-motion animation. Once again, my animation bias is sleeping in to my top ten list like it seems to every year, but... Um, I absolutely feel like this was the Pinocchio movie that thematically did what other Pinocchio movies have tried to do, and not succeeded doing. And what I mean by that is, other than Del Toro's sort of penchant of of sort of you know liking to revisit you know themes that revolve around fascism, there's an element of of sort of faith and and and. And immortality and mortality um in, in this movie that I feel like these deeper themes about those subjects that uh I feel like you know other Pinocchio movies, I'm thinking AI in particular, have tried to do, but not communicated with so much heart and and, and left you with such a haunting ending. It's not like I'm saying this is a you know perfect movie. I think the main character can get a little annoying at times, uh, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's a kid, but, yeah. uh, but um, I, I just love how beautifully done it was. I, I love, uh, I, I, I love sort of the interpretation of what, you know, an afterlife looks like in that world. I, I think um, Del Toro proves himself to be a great visual uh, master and uh, like I said, I, I always appreciate a really good stop-motion animated movie. I just think they're just, they're so rare. And and, and I think what I love about it is you can feel the love in, in the figures that they animate with um, because you know it's a tedious process that only people who would really, animation is already tedious, no matter what animation it is. But the fact that people would just, you know, move a little bit, take a picture on a on the old camera, I actually visited the exhibit at uh, MoMA in New York. they were just using canon mark five d mark threes so old cameras take a picture, move it a little oh, i really? mean yeah it's it's just ridiculous so th- that's why these things take years but yeah,
2: absolutely one of my favorite movies of the year wow. man your your love for the movie makes me wish I liked it more because uh yeah, I just found Pinocchio to be too annoying. <laughs> No, he
0: is annoying though. That I totally agree with you.
3: Yeah. Hey man, animation is cinema. You you know, you don't have to worry about your biases coming in. I think oh, yeah. it's important to, I, to I acknowledge love that. that. It.
2: Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. And you know, we good.
1: we need yeah, we need different flavors, different, you know, tastes on this podcast. So I'm glad you bring that yeah. to to mm-hmm. this group.
2: Yeah. It's amazing.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Thank you
2: uh I feel like stop motion animation is like, like you really have to love it because it seems like one of the most, like from a financial perspective, I, I think stop motion films generally don't make a lot of money. So, and it's the hardest one to do. So it just yeah. seems like the value proposition is like not worth it, but yeah, I'm so glad that people are still doing it because yeah, if I have to, you know, for at the least Pinocchio is one of the best stop motion movies looking uh, movies i've, I've
0: ever I, seen I, I do have to add something i don't know whether my love for this movie may have also been influenced by how terrible the disney adaptation of, oh, yeah. of the, i just couldn't watch that for more than 20 minutes i was like <laughs> what is this bringing to the story that the animated version didn't do already so
1: anyway okay so what was so bad about the um the Disney Plus version.
0: It wasn't bad. It was just felt very uninspired. Like it was just they were making it just to make a live action version of it. Like so many of these Disney live action movies.
1: Is it just exactly and the same beat for beat shop? It kind of is remake yeah. of the original. Okay. There's there's
0: no visual difference. You know, it's there's just it it just felt it wasn't bad. You can watch it, but it also feels it also feels very uninspired and it comes off as almost. A little boring and, and that's shocking to me because it was a robert zemeckis movie and I, I love everything he does so
3: yeah yeah and tom hanks doing accents it's just, it's just <laughs> not good, you know? i was watching I just, the terminal you other day. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah
2: Wait, uh, who, who does you? tom hanks play
1: debetto oh Debeto. oh jeez. Yeah. <laughs> All right, job. You're number three.
3: Number three. Glass Onion. Wow. Oh, oh of course, of course, <laughs> of course, of course, my man. I mean, it's like Albert and, and Job
1: and Ryan Johnson.
3: <laughs> Me and Ruin Johnson, right? Like <laughs> here to ruin our lists.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, my man. J- just a, just a side note. We have this Oscars ballot bet. And uh, for best adapted screenplay, you know, we all cast our vote, our our guesses on who's going to win best adapted screenplay in all the other categories for the Oscars. And all of us said <laughs> we've been talking, except for Job. <laughs> Job just like <laughs> so shameless. He just like no glass onion.
2: Yeah, voting glass with your onion. heart. Man. Let's
3: go, dude. Yeah, I, I, like gotta, it. I gotta. I gotta. These are my, Matt, Matt Prost, my personal man, picks. Yeah. <laughs> He's my man, you know? <laughs>
1: uh, all right. All right. Tell um, us. Tell us your thoughts. All right. All right. All right.
3: Yeah, I, I thought it was another whodunit just done so cleverly. Um, I laughed out loud so many times. I thought it was really fun. Um, it was a notch beneath Knives Out, which was the Benoit Blanc film before yeah. this one, um, but it was still super fun. Um, the the preachiness uh, in this one of the meta narrative got to be too much for me by the end, um, but it never veered too far, of course, um, it was also super weird. Uh, seeing it as kind of this hyper modern movie featuring COVID-19 masks, um, I felt like secondhand trauma almost like watching that, um, but they managed to weave humor around it, of course, because Ryan Johnson's a master at comedy and cleverness and so um all in all it was one of my favorite movies of the year nice best adapted screenplay let's go let's go Come dude on.
2: i wanted to win. Hey, what happens because, if it happens yeah yeah uh, i think joe should get two points if it does win because there's no way it's gonna win <laughs> <laughs>
1: he just win the entire thing
2: <laughs> yeah. i'll take the whole pod if this happens
3: yeah oh man okay got robbed last time
2: question for you have you have you been watching poker face
3: i haven't i don't have peacock so but i i need to i need to oh there you go man (laughs) what
0: no i mean not many people do have peacock though
3: yeah to be fair
0: so
2: yeah yeah
3: i'm just waiting to have a chance to like watch all of them Okay. You
2: know, you know how it goes. So, yeah.
3: But yeah, have you have you guys been seeing it, watching it?
2: Uh, I've actually been watching it with Hannah. Um, nice. So it's it's on um, the last episode comes out next Thursday. Um, and I, how is it? I really like it. I think mm. it's a great show. Um, watching it. And I mean, Class Onion was on my honorable mentions. And yeah, I'm definitely becoming more and more a fan of Rue and Johnson. Because he he just, yeah, he like he is to whodunits as you know, Soderbergh is to heists. I think it's just a match made in heaven, and I hope he just spends the rest of his life doing it and not Star Wars movies. (laughs) Sorry, I'm not gonna get there, but (laughs) (laughs) let's not go there. (laughs) let does not go there. (laughs) Two hours join the
3: Ryan Johnson cult. Join the Ryan Johnson cult.
1: What what if, uh, (laughs) what if he does? (laughs) <laughs> what if he does a uh, like a mystery film uh, in Star Wars? That would be pretty. I'm down for that. Oh, that, that would be real. cool, oh. dude. I would yeah. watch that. Yeah, I don't
2: know anything about Star Wars, but I would watch it like, watch Baby Yoda get murdered or something. <laughs> oh, hey man, no, he definitely that. would be ruined. John, don't say that. Life. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, who killed no. Baby Yoda?
3: <laughs> Not my Luke Skywalker, guys. <laughs> Not my Luke Skywalker,
1: anyway. I'm All sorry. Right. Go ahead. Paul you your number three.
2: My number three is Blonde. Um, probably oh. probably Ooh. the most controversial pick uh out of everyone here, I'm I'm sure. Uh, because I know most of Hollywood hated this movie. Um, but I found it to be deeply sympathetic and and tragic. Uh just a, a look into one of America's biggest icons. Uh, I pretty much didn't know anything about Marilyn Monroe going into this and I just came away you know, feeling really, you know sorry for her and, and what the film industry did to her. I, I think the reason a lot of people hate this film is because it seems over indulgent on, you know seemingly overindulgent on abusing her and exploiting her her suffering uh, and also because it takes a pro-life stance. Uh, but everything I saw, I felt like the director Andrew Dominic, he wasn't doing it out of contempt for Monroe but he was equally mad at what the world did to her and and I think he conveys that in the film I think uh it's it's very tragic and it's very it's very disheartening but at the same time it, it really opened up my eyes to you know just how cruel people can be and just all the suffering that she went through and it just made me really empathize and I actually thought that uh Anna Armas as Marilyn Monroe was actually the probably the most distracting part of the film because her accent slips in like every other sentence so she doesn't she doesn't sound like Monroe but she certainly does look like her there are sequences where i actually thought that they just used stock footage of monroe but it was actually her and it was very like it, that was crazy um but i think her performance is still very admirable because she captures that uh the tortured starlet kind of uh, person uh, really well and i think um uh, so a film critic that I, I listened to a lot, Mark Kermode, um, he he basically said that you it's better to view this movie in the lens of not a biopic because it's based off of a book. Um, and the book is classified as not like fiction, uh, non uh, it's not nonfiction. It's it's it is like a fictional take. Um, and Mark Kermode basically said that you have to view it in the lens of it's a horror movie. And in, in many ways it is. Um and I think seeing it really contextualizes the whole film. And um yeah, it's just it's it's a hard watch. I don't think I'll ever watch it again, but it was at the same time, it was really amazing. Like I, I actually watched the first like 40 minutes on the, my phone when I was, you know, uh flying somewhere. So on the plane, I was watching it, and then about 40 minutes in, I was like, okay, I'm gonna stop watching this because this is really good. And I want to go home and watch on my TV. Um, I think of all the movies I watched this year, this it, it has the best cinematography. And it's just, like, the whole time, it, it, was, it was just so stunning to look at. Uh, and I think the cinematography also serves to show, like, the dichotomous nature of the glitz and glamour of Hollywood. But behind closed doors, it's a, a totally different beast. But, yeah, I, I mean... I don't know how much I can recommend this, but I think it's worth a watch for anyone who appreciates, you know, cinema. So, yeah, definitely probably the most controversial pick, but I really liked it.
1: Yeah, Paul, you showed me the opening like 10 minutes and just from the, t- the 10 minutes, I knew I was going to love this film just based on just how beautiful the cinematography was um yeah. unfortunately i didn't get past the 10 minutes uh i, I should have gone back to to watch uh, and finish the film but this is one of the ones where at the moment you said i'm like dang it that, i didn't get to it and yeah. <laughs> so I, i'm pretty sure this would like the quiet girl this would blow up my list also um yeah. i'm fairly certain i would probably agree with you on that on that one
2: yeah nice
1: all right, my number three film is Close. This is a Aww. film from Belgium. Uh, I just want to say this: movies are a visual medium, right? But so many movies that we watch often fall back on telling the audience how characters are feeling through dialogue and exposition, right? It's faster, it's easier. Uh, it's an uh, you know it's easier method of revealing a character's inner life, but you know in reality. People are complicated. They often don't express these complicated emotions in the ways that are depicted on screen. And I feel like Close is a film uh, about close friendship, about two boys uh, that's called into question uh, by their new friends as they enter middle school. Uh, I feel like this film feels real to life. Um, This is an excellent example of minimalist filmmaking, kind of like Tar. Not a lot happens. Uh, There are long scenes that play out with very little dialogue. The camera just lingers on the characters. And we just sit and watch. And we, and we, we, we have time to process and think about what's happening. And what they're showing us through the characters' actions. Not so much the things that they say out loud. And this is a film about what the characters are not saying. It's a film that shows us gestures and glances and the space between characters. And then it kind of leaves it to us to figure things out. So I really love this film. I love the filmmaking. I love the style. And it's just as a parent watching this uh, film about kids growing up, uh, it's just heartbreaking to watch. Uh, it's, it's a, you know, so I highly recommend it.
2: Yeah, this was a, uh, I watched this just this past weekend. And I, I wish I liked it as much as you, Mike. I, I mean, we've kind of talked about it already where I, I... Had more issues with the second half, but I agree. It's a very, it's a very emotional film. And especially, probably, you know, I don't have kids, but I imagine that, you know, being a parent, it's all that much more affecting for you. But yeah, I like, I, I've been listening to the soundtrack all, all week. I, I really like it.
1: Yeah, it's funny because I love the film, but I didn't, I didn't, uh, <laughs> I didn't remember the music. And, oh, yeah. and you did. So, <laughs> yeah. All right, all right, guys. Uh, number two, our number two films, Albert. Uh, mine would be Nope. So, yeah,
0: I I think when I came out, Nope, I felt like I just watched the greatest these film thesis from a very good film student (laughs) ever, Mm. (laughs) probably the best ever made. But I think I liked how it took this sort of on the surface, simple alien invasion story and kind of turned it into this 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 um uh how how i best describe it but sort of this the story about all these different themes right like exploitation people controlling nature um uh and i think probably the one thing that really struck out to me was uh Was the power of the image, and we get seduced by the power of the image all the time in all its various forms. I mean, all four of us do actually, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't be in this podcast. And and how we almost sort of can't sort of look away from, uh, you know, particular images that you know moments that we encounter or things we can't explain, or or events that are traumatic. even if they're bad for us, and uh, I also really just loved the way it looked. I love the soundtrack. I, 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 I do feel like Jordan Peeley is probably the most interesting filmmaker to me right now. I wouldn't say his. I definitely think he's past that stage where you can consider him an upcoming filmmaker, even though he has you know three films under his belt. And I, I like how he tries to juggle a lot of different themes in each of his movies, some less successfully. I think us was probably, you know, an example for me of that, but with, I mean, get out and, uh, and Nope, two out of three ain't bad.
2: Man. What a surprise. I didn't know you liked it that much. That's I really, really liked like, it. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah I and mean, awesome. we talked about it on this podcast too. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah.
2: You're holding back, man. I was <laughs>
0: I
1: uh, but I no, also I, think the more I thought about it, the more I liked it too
0: and then I watched it I bought it and then watched it again too so ah, okay. yeah,
2: yeah you I didn't re- mention
0: the Akira shot uh, I did yeah. it thank you for calling me on that yes and the live action Akira shot I would trust Jordan Peele and I know he got approached or I read some story that he was approached by Warner Brothers to do Akira, but he was smart enough to turn it down but it's yeah. always the ones who turn it down that you think. He turned it down <laughs> because he understood it, and that's exactly yeah. who you want to make it. But he yeah. just knows it's probably going to be put in a difficult position if he does that. So yeah, uh,
1: I actually think Akira would be great uh, as a Denis Villeneuve vehicle. I think oh, yeah, I would agree with that.
0: It, yeah, it wouldn't yeah. be like one movie though. You it, like
1: sure yeah, it has to be a part one and part two.
0: Yeah, I already <laughs> feel like the the movie, the anime movie itself, for me, it's a landmark movie, but. Compared to the manga it's based on, it's like a short summary or something. Mm. I already,
1: yeah, so mm. yeah, yeah. I I really enjoyed Nope too. Uh, yeah, so it, it was actually on my list at one point as well. So definitely an honorable uh, mention for me. All right, Job, you're number two. My
3: number two is <clears throat> Fableman's. Oh! Whoa, freak, dude!
0: I had a feeling uh, it would be up there. I don't know
3: why. Oh. Yeah, as much as I love Ryan Johnson, Steven Spielberg is my original bae. (laughs) Um, He, okay, so Fablemans, it's a great autobiography. Um, It was naturally beautifully shot, like all Spielberg movies are. Um, I think there's like a narrative around Spielberg that he makes like sugary saccharine summer blockbusters with too much heart. But really, uh, so much of his work is biographical. I I saw a thread by someone on Twitter who was just pointing it out, and and it it's it it kind of explained why I love Spielberg movies so much, and I think so much of his movies carry like the weight of his life and what he went through, and are vehicles for him to kind of process like the stuff he went through. And Fableman shows us like his story in a way um and uh yeah through his surrogate sammy fableman and through his eyes um and and i think this is one of the films of his in recent times that is like that just really does not pull any punches uh and really like shows us what he is feeling um and i think it's one of his strongest works in years one of the purest movies he's made in years and um, one of the great films of about filmmaking uh, in our time. So I really, really love this movie, guys. I know, I know, some a couple of you don't, but
2: <laughs> yeah, we need yeah.
0: to. Yeah, I actually really like the movie too. I, I didn't like it enough for it to be in the top ten, but I, I would say there are moments in there where you you know, filmmaker is. Being extremely sincere about his life story because if you've been through maybe certain events that are similar you feel it too yeah. and yeah
2: I don't felt with certain points of this movie we needed you, you guys to back up John on our podcast because uh, yeah Mike and I were totally yeah, not we, feeling that movie we,
1: we were scratching our heads after this one <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's cool like I mean I, I know most we know most cinephiles this movie jived with them so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah we're definitely in the minority on it
2: Yeah, I mean, I I really wanted to like it. But then uh, when Michelle Williams started doing her interpretive dance, I was like, all right, I'm (laughs) out, dude. I don't don't think I can understand this movie.
3: (laughs) I I mean, that part, I was kind of just like, okay, like, what are we doing here? But uh, other than that, other than that.
0: If you see interviews with his parents, he got got
2: amazingly close to how his actual parents were, Uh, like, really close. Yeah. Absolutely. If, if the movie was about like how he did all those clever tricks to film his earlier works, that would have been like a 10 out of 10 for me. Like those parts were the best part of the movie for me. All
1: right, Paul, you're number two.
2: All right. So for my number two, I had to think long and hard about whether or not this should be number one. It was essentially it's essentially like one in 1A, but for me, number two is after Sun. Um, nice. I mean, this just aside from my number one, this this film fulfills like a completely different emotional response on the spectrum and this like the ending of this film literally left me shaking uh, after the credits rolled. I, I think it, I think it's the best A24 film ever. Uh, Frankie Corio one of the best child performances ever
1: should have uh, been ellie uh,
2: yeah should should have been ellie man uh just kidding, although just kidding. i mean shout out to belle ramsey because she yeah is belle ramsey's amazing. good i'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just <laughs> but really she issues. does uh, yeah frankie corio does look a lot like ellie for sure um and i i haven't done a lot of research on this but i think charlotte wells's directorial debut i mean for me i think it has to be probably the number two best directorial debut ever behind Sidney Lumet's 12 Angry Men. Um, I think like what you were saying, Mike, about uh, movies uh, and their storytelling as like, it's a a visual medium. And I think there's so much subtext in this film and a lot of it is, you know, through the silence and not what's explicitly being said. Um, This film, you know, similar to Tar, it is, quite slow like the first half I would say maybe the first two thirds are are pretty slow but when I watched it I was completely in love with it because it's just about a daughter having a nice vacation with her dad and you know just the emotions that it pulls from you know because it it is it does take place from the 90s and we are all like all of us grew up in the 90s Um, and it's just something about it like spending time with with your parents and even it's, it's the, the vacation that they take is, it's not a remarkable vacation They I mean, they're just kind of hanging out in a hotel, but it's just so sweet and tenderhearted and the ending, I mean, the, the whole ending sequence, like just destroyed me. Uh, I think it was just, yeah. It, like I said, it just left me shaking. And I think it was one of the most uh, impactful movies, that I've seen all year, and it just made me want to like go and hug my parents or something <laughs> but uh yeah i i really loved it
1: yeah i I had to think long and hard about my number one and number two as well, and uh my number two is after sun as <laughs> well, <laughs> as well. Nice. um yeah, and I think my number four three two and uh four three, and two they're kind of like a trifecta of like very minimalist, uh, filmmaking. And, uh, you know, this is, (laughs) sorry, I'm seeing, I've seen you guys text in the chat and we'll, we'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. All right. I got, I got to focus on Ephraim. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just Charlotte Wells is, I just, I'm stunned that this is her first film. Uh, I thought this was a film of an established auteur. And I think it's a travesty that she wasn't nominated for Best Director, even though yeah. this is her first film. It's like that good of a debut film that she should have been re- recognized. Um, she, uh, Best Writer as well. Best Original Screenplay. Um, it's you know It really gets you paying attention to what the characters are doing in each frame, how they react and respond to each other. Uh, this is a film that I think has to be seen more than once because upon first viewing, there are scenes that play out and you don't really think too much about it. But after knowing what this film is and where it goes, you start seeing patterns that build up to a fuller picture of who these characters are. And I, you know, Paul, you already mentioned them, but Paul Mescal and uh, Frankie Correo, they give incredibly nuanced performances. And I'm glad that uh, Paul Mescal got nominated for best actor it's a huge surprise but yeah he well very well deserved and it's a very powerful film that will devastate you especially if you have kids
0: i uh yeah shout out to paul Mescal. i forgot his name earlier but the i think he recently did a a uh, red carpet conversation at the baftas in irish and you know it's a dying language so it's good that he's sort of using his celebrity to highlight you know as well and yeah it's a to every what, everybody to everybody who has said anything about everything about uh, After Son, it's um yeah I, I you, great uh, one thing I wanted to add that I forgot to add was I think there is something to be said about how we understand our parents differently when we approach their age, right? And 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 uh, I'm not a parent, but I I I do sort of see you think about where I am right now in my life and and uh, probably where they were at that point and uh i think the movie did also does a great job capturing that that sentiment
2: yeah i i i dubbed the uh, after sun the quiet girl and banshees of inner Sheer, and I, I call it the celtic depression trilogy uh, oh, because this. i think i think after i blame is, the english so <laughs> yeah so uh i think after sun is scottish right and then in banshees of inner Sheer and quiet girl are irish so uh if we have any irish or scottish viewers out there let me know if that's an appropriate title to give it but i i loved each and every one of those and they broke my heart in different ways
1: all right uh you know we've we've disclosed our entire list it's now time for our favorite top number one film of 2022 and there's just one movie that we have none of us have talked about up until this point. <laughs> and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a guess, okay? And uh, I'll just I'll start with like the story, okay? Um, a couple of years ago, there was a student sitting in my class in the front row. This is uh this is like in 2019 or 2020, so before the pandemic, and uh, he was wearing a Top Gun shirt. And then I was like, oh, hey, you know, the new one's coming out, right? And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I point to his shirt. (laughs) I'm like, dude, the new Top Gun movie's coming out. I was like, I have no idea what this is. And (laughs) What? You know, this is a, you know, that was a, you know, it was a franchise. It was a movie from the 1980s, right? And I don't think this new generation knows what it is. But that all changed in 2022, baby, because... Top Gun now. Hell Maverick, man. yeah. 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 What yeah. a movie. All right. <laughs> let's yeah. all take turns freaking showering love on this movie.
3: <laughs> you gotta no. give him its flowers. Let's go.
1: All right, Albert. Why is this your number one movie? I
3: mean, heck,
0: I watched it like five times in the theaters. <laughs> I, 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 was to think, I was trying to think about the last time a movie made me feel like I had to do that. And I had to bring, you know, bring my parents, uh, my mom, I mean, to 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 watch it. And then and, uh, and and just start telling everyone, you got to see this movie if you haven't seen it. And it, there's it's such a, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Tom Cruise, the person, but Tom Cruise, the actor, the producer is phenomenal. He you yep. can't you can't deny his impact on the world of cinema because you you feel the 150% effort he puts into everything he does. I mean he puts his life on the line. Who does that? And he what with Top Gun he gave us a story that you know in a divided world everybody could rally a, around no matter you know where you were from and what your political persuasion was. We all got a great um summer blockbuster that wasn't just big it, w- it had heart it had the you know not one scene was uh, wasted all the characters had their roles to play uh and and most of all i think uh it was a movie of class and what i mean by that it, i mean you say a blockbuster class, is it doesn't have to use cgi unless it feels like it has no other option i miss that about Big movies nowadays where we go as practical as as hard as we can until we can't and um it's it, it's just i mean how <laughs> it's just great i love it <laughs> <laughs> i watched i mean I, I i still i can't think of the last time i saw a movie like this i was like i have to know how they made it i have to know everything i have to know what cameras they used how they prepped for everything mm-hmm. you know what was mm-hmm. the development process it's it's magic that's the top gun is why we go to
3: the movies right so yeah wow
1: well said Somebody love said. it keep preaching it man so good. <laughs> all right Job, your turn
3: <laughs> All right, my turn to preach. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I took a few international flights at, towards the end of last year to to New Zealand, and um, every single screen in every single seat in every single flight showed Top Gun Maverick oh. at least once. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got up. I literally did this. I stood up from my chair to look around the room <laughs> or around the plane every single screen was showing Top Gun Maverick. There would be one or two that was showing like like some the Food Network or something, but everyone else was watching Top Gun. And I can't recall a, a movie um, that has had the kind of cultural impact and footprint that this one has had. It's like, it was everywhere. The song from this movie was everywhere. Do, 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 do. Like all summer long, all year long, forever and yeah. I just was am just kind of blown away at how how enduring this was I mean it appealed to all kinds of viewers the ones who watched the movie all the way through the ones who fast forwarded through the talking parts the ones who fast forwarded through the action parts to to look at the talking parts all kinds of people were watching this film mm-hmm. uh, it appealed to such a broad range and was so unifying almost and yeah it's like why, why we watch movies in a lot of ways it it reminds reminded us of that. And yeah, I mean, there was a clip recently online where Spielberg went up to Tom Cruise and said, "You saved our industry or you saved our <laughs> I mean like that's that's like super hyper hyperbolic, but like, anyway, uh, about Spielberg the movie itself. That. Spielberg saying that the guy who made Fablemans, you know, (laughs) the second best movie of the year. (laughs) I mean, all right, one of I mean, it was one of the most fun experiences I've had in my life in the theaters Uh, in Chris McQuarrie and Tom Cruise parlance. This is mission. This movie was mission uh, in every single way. The thrills, the ta- the the tactile nature of it all. Um, only thing that was missing was it just was not as sweaty as the original, which oh, is true. a huge shame. True, um, it docked like .001 points for that. Um, <laughs> it it inspired me to shave my facial hair down to the stash and wear oh, sunglasses yeah. all the time. <laughs> I even wore sunglasses indoors sometimes because I just wanted to because of this yes. movie. So. <laughs> Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Let's go.
1: Woo. Hall. All <laughs> right. My, Love my on time this
3: movie. for the sermon.
2: <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, honestly, what else needs to be said that hasn't already been said? I mean, uh, t- to me, Tom Cruise is the last true action star on the planet. I-, I think making serviceable action movies has never been easier in our time with, you know, the special effects and, just the lengths in which people are willing to just act in front of a green screen Um, and box office grosses, I think, prove that point as well. Like, I think you really have to go out of your way to, to make, to take a risk on films like the kinds that Tom Cruise makes uh, and the risks that he takes, you know, and it's interesting because we, you know, we're in a culture where it's very easy to point out the the flaws of others and, you know, virtue signaling and all that. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm like Albert here where it's like, I don't agree with Tom Cruise's beliefs as a person, but how can you not be admiral, admirable of his dedication to the craft and all that he does for the movie making process? I mean, for people who don't like Top Gun Maverick because they don't like Tom Cruise, look, I mean, if you want to co- live a completely moral life based on your intake from the world on a daily basis throw out your iPhone, don't go to Starbucks, don't drive your Tesla, like, you basically have to live under a rock if you want to be completely, like, a completely moral person, you know, like, I get that Tom Cruise is, like, a polarizing figure, but it's just, like, he just does so much for the film industry, like, he, 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 like, what Albert said, he's literally risking his life to, so that we can enjoy his near-death experiences filmed on camera, and, it's just like, not only that, but he's in. I, I I mean, I don't I don't want to say it, but he is kind of like in the twilight of his career because he's. I mean, he's like sixty years old, and he can only keep doing this these types of films for so much longer. So I just really appreciate like not only his his dedication to like almost killing himself every movie, but also for his co stars and the team of people that he keeps like like no other movie is gonna make. Their co-stars like go through an extremely tough, like top gun training regimen, like six-month you know, training regimen to prep them in the way that they did with this movie. Like he gave them the full experience and everything. And I just feel like you're not gonna see that kind of dedication anywhere else, or like very rarely, you know. Um, and you know, much like how I was loving on Robert Eggers' dedication to the authenticity of Viking history and the Northmen, I mean, Tom Cruise's dedication to just Giving us the most, you know, visceral action sequences that we've that we've ever seen. I mean, Top Gun Maverick is just one of the, the obviously the best Top Gun movie. I don't care about people who grew up in the eighties and grew up on the original Top Gun Maverick. Just the just better in every way. It's also one of the best Mission Impossible movies because the last third of this That's film so is, true. is so clearly Mission Impossible. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. the the. The partnership between Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise is like a, seriously a match made in heaven. Uh, I'm s- And and it's crazy how I think we were going to get Top Gun Maverick and Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One in the same year, right? I think that was originally what it was going to be. Yeah, um, that's right. It's too yeah, much for one year. Th- yeah, I'm so glad that they spaced it out because I think I would have freaking, I would have just died because of how amazing that would have been. So I'm glad that we got years to space it out. I'm so excited to have Mission Impossible be my favorite movie of 2023. Uh, just <laughs> and, and that we get Dead Reckoning Part 2 the following year. I mean, we're living in the Tom Cruise renaissance, uh, even though he's going to be like 62. <laughs> the it's time fascinating. It's, it's
0: fascinating that we think of him as a... Tw- because I, I thought about this before. He didn't start off an action star. For a long time, right. he wasn't. You're right and we know he's capable of of uh really great like best actor caliber performances you know I think about born on the fourth of july magnolia yep. yeah so i always wonder you know maybe when he can't finally do action movies whether he might try to go back and do some something like that but you know i digress
2: no uh, yeah totally agree tom yeah. if you're listening to this and you need one of our organs because yours is failing you know, I'm sure any of us four would recommend uh, or voluntarily give us or give you our body. So
3: dude, his <laughs> organs are probably in better shape than all of ours. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, <it's> true.
2: <laughs> all
1: right, your turn, Mike. All right, man. Yeah, this is just a perfectly made Hollywood blockbuster. It's just the finest example of what a legacy sequel should be. Every beat, every scene, every sequence. It all just clicked and worked so well to build up the characters, the drama, the action. Uh, this is a Hollywood movie where the action is so closely tied together with the characters, and the action actually progresses character arcs. I, you know, I'm not even a big Top Gun fan. And I don't even think that highly of the original movie, but this movie made me cheer and scream alongside a packed IMAX screening full of old dudes. So, and even now when I show this movie to my kids, you know, I can't, you know, they love Top Gun Maverick. They love all the the, the flight sequences. And it just totally brought this film back into the zeitgeist. And, you know, after a 30-year absence, 30-plus year absence, right? 36 years. Um, And now, like, little kids are growing up with Top Gun again. And I think that's just insane. Um, And, you know, I, I can't help but get choked up in certain scenes that one line at the very end that uh rooster says to maverick if you haven't seen the movie yet oh, shame yeah. on you shame on you if you haven't seen <laughs> yeah, it but... i agree oh, I, oh every time every time he says that line i just I, I can't help but tear up you know it annihilates me so um i i'm just so glad that uh that tom cruise kind of yeah released this movie and was really stubborn about not putting it on streaming. And then he's proved all the doubters wrong. And uh, especially, uh, you know, what I could not stand during the pandemic was like friends of mine, you know, you you read it online critics, people everywhere were were kind of declaring that movie theaters were headed to extinction. Like the end was an an inevitable, streaming was the future. And with Top Gun Maverick, Tom Cruise just looks straight into these doubters eyes into the camera and he says, maybe so, but not today. Oh yeah, nice. dude. And nice. Just <laughs> uh, Yeah. So um, just in summary, okay. Just to close our top 10 episode for this year, uh, Top Gun Maverick, you know, it's all of our number one choices. So that <laughs> it's is our probably defi- never
2: going to happen again. Oh, oh
1: yeah. Has this oh, ever yeah. happened. Sure. No, no I don't it's think never, so. no, it never happened. So Joe, Joe, I'm so glad, even though you're sick, you're not feeling well. I'm glad you Michael Jordan it and you came <laughs> on, uh, cause I think it was, it was all the more enjoyable to kind of share with, this uh, a <laughs> special moment of declaring our number one movies of the year um so top gun maverick for sure is our number one pick uh highly recommended uh rrr made it to all four of our lists everything everywhere all at once made it to uh three three yeah three of our lists yeah. i i excluded it i really liked it i just it just you know just didn't cut the top 10 for me yeah yeah, yeah. uh the batman as well, uh, that wasn't on your list. Yeah, it wasn't. That wasn't.
2: <laughs> yeah, Ten is not enough, dude. We get it.
1: Not this year, right? Yeah, for sure. Right. So, and then uh, After Sun that was also on three of our lists. Nice. Uh, the Northman, The Menu, and Banshees of Inisherin that made it on two of our lists. So there you go, uh, folks. Uh, we got we got some highly recommended films for you to check out if you haven't seen it before. We hope you enjoyed listening to us. Love on these movies. We'll see you next time on the Week of Foolish Movie Podcast.
2: We're not done yet.
1: No. The Supreme Leader is wise. I'm sure you are. Blow that piece of junk out of the sky!